Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is part two of Neon's take on Braveheart. And you know what? I think I've already proven I don't exactly love every single piece of pop culture. So, you get to hear more places that Braveheart is a great story, but is terrible history. So, they bring the Maid of the North South. Unfortunately, it's a pretty serious journey across the North Sea. And this small, fragile girl... It was just too much for her body. She didn't drown. There was no shipwreck or anything like that. But she she physically could not deal with the rigors of that journey and died in transit. So suddenly there really is no plan B. And there were two main groups forming round the throne of Scotland saying again to Edward, you're independent. Why don't you try and settle this? So should it go to Robert Bruce or John Balliol? And Edward, for various reasons, picked John to become the new King of Scotland on the condition of John swore, in essence, an oath of fealty and loyalty to Edward, saying that as King of England, he was overlord of Scotland as well. Never before had a King of England been able to do that, sort of. Let's just let's just stick it at that. But but yes, yeah, so this was, uh, this was sneaky manoeuvring, but you might as well do it while you can. That would be anybody's attitude. If you've got the power to impose your will on, on someone, why not? That makes complete sense in the 13th century. But it did set a precedence. However, all of this is, you know, a few years after 1286. And so by the time we get to William Wallace's uprising, the English have really, well, to start off with, Edward didn't just march up north with an army and go, yes, I'm in charge now. It took him a little while of poking and prodding to build up the courage to start really laying down the law up in Scotland. And there's no doubt that by the time you get to William Wallace, you know, in- England was very much the invader, the unwanted interferer in Scotland. OK, I'm not trying to denigrate that, but it had been maybe a couple of years and not a couple of decades, as the film implies. What's worse is the film implies that the reason why Wallace rose up is that English lords have been ruling the territory for quite some time and they demanded Prima Nocta. Now, Prima Nocta is a myth about the Middle Ages. Uh, What it's it's meant to mean is first night. And the idea is when a lord has two of his subjects marry, he gets to sleep with the bride on their first night. This is garbage, okay? It's just a casual looking at how religious and how hung up the church is generally about uh, extramarital affairs. It, there's no way that could have been a thing in the Middle Ages, and indeed it's never mentioned in any contemporary chronicle. It's a much later invention to basically imply that the Middle Ages were really backwards. 
Okay, fine. Point taken. However, that's not the same thing as it actually happened, and that's what triggered a rebellion in Scotland, a freedom-fighting warrior, etc. It's designed to really make the English bad. Gotta say, Mel Gibson, 1990s, really didn't like England. Why does Jem say this? Because the English are just outright baddies in Braveheart. A few years later, he makes The Patriot, where we're even worse. This is the American War of Revolution, and yet they're really basically Nazis in red coats. At one point, they set fire to a church full of people, for heaven's sakes. That never happened in the War of Independence. It did happen by the Nazis in World War II in France, but that was considered a war crime. You know... 150 years later on a different continent with different armies. But apart from that, why not put it in an uh, in one about the American War of Independence? Anyway, back to Braveheart. So we've got the cackling baddie aristocrat trying to do prima nocta. William Wallace kills him. And we now get the start of this uh, rebellion. And then we get to the really cool battle. The Battle of Stirling which has many problems if we're going to look at it from the point of view of historical accuracy. First of all, you all know what Braveheart looks like according to the movie. He's got that blue woad face paint on. He's got a kilt. You can't get more Scottish than that. That was a very poor attempt at a Scottish accent. I apologize. However, we're mangling history and historical fashion at this point. So just to I'm going to talk about England for a moment and then we'll do Scotland to just because if I do it the other way around, I might have a Scot saying, oh, this is very, very biased. So, OK, fine. The original occupants of England weren't called English. OK, they were Britons. They were Celts and they were invaded after the Roman era by the Angles, Jutes and Saxons. England means the land of the Angles, and the Angles are actually from Germany, okay? Now, same kind of thing in Scotland. Scotland was not called Scotland originally. The Romans called it Caledonia, and living in Scotland were the Picts. And the Scotty are a reference to a bunch of Irish raiders who came over to the country and seemed to have taken it over. So the Picts aren't Scots, just as the Celts aren't English. Okay, got that? Good. Excellent. The Picts wore woad. The Picts were pagan. The Picts were doing this, I mean, at the absolute minimum 500 years before the Battle of Stirling. And it wasn't called the Battle of Stirling. I'll come on to that in a moment. So, okay. The face paint is 500 years too late, and the kilts, well, kilts at the earliest came from the 1600s, so they're about 300 years too early. So no Scottish army ever looked like it did in Braveheart, okay? That's a bad thing. The next thing that's worth mentioning, and this is where I get into the really deep dive history, is... Everybody in Scotland associates the Battle of Stirling Bridge with William Wallace, but actually more recent research has shown this to be likely to be false. You see, the other leader of the army at that time was Sir Andrew Moray. I said I was going to mention him, and here we go. You could say Andrew Murray, Andy Murray, there we go, tennis player and freedom fighter from the 13th century. Now, the thing is, as I've already said, Scotland was a feudal society, and Andrew Moray was a more seniorly ranked aristocrat, nobleman, than William Wallace, and therefore it would have been exceptionally weird for a man who, 
the a few things we know about William Wallace is he seems to have stolen um, some property while he was with an English soldier a few years earlier. He 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 possibly was an archer mercenary, so he might have known war, and this would have explained why he he could actually fight a fight. And he might even have served in the English army. That's not inconceivable, but he was in no way as higher ranked as uh, as Murray was. So. What Murray was highly likely to have been the leader at the Battle of Stirling Bridge. Why do we not know about him? Because he died in the battle. I'll come on to the point where he died shortly. But here's the thing. In the movie, you get this amazing battle across a field as these two armies smash into each other, although it is worth pointing out that the Scots seem to have no armour and the English do, but because they've just had a big speech and they're Scottish, they seem to have just won a huge brawl, even though they shouldn't have, okay? The reality is, the Scottish soldiers would have looked very similar to the English soldiers, and they certainly would have been wearing armour wherever they possibly could, and the battle was a strategic tour de force of intelligent use of landscape and biding your time in battle and actually it doesn't do the Scottish tactics justice in the movie the other thing I cannot stand in any movie is when it breaks its own logic and Braveheart does that twice so just bear in mind with me on this point because the other thing that happens in according to the movie is the two groups of Irish mercenaries smash into each other but then stop and it turns out they're all big brothers, and then all the ones that are on the English side switch over to the Scottish side, and hee-hee-ha-ha, isn't this clever, isn't this wonderful, this is clearly a good thing, okay? Yay! Bear with me on that when we come to Falkirk shortly. Anyway, the point is, the Battle of Stirling Bridge was an attempt to relieve the siege that was going on at Stirling Castle. Stirling Castle is a pivotal site in Scotland, which is all about... Can you control the highlands and lowlands and Stirling Castle's kind of the point you need to sort of get into both territories, all right? However, to get there, you had to get across Stirling Bridge, which was shallow. It was narrow, I should say, actually. The, the river wasn't shallow, as you're about to find out. Um, you could probably only march about two men abreast. The Scots had less of everything. The English were, were well-armed and were ready to go and, and uh, fight around Stirling Castle. But as they went across this bridge, what the Scots did is they hid in the forest nearby and they waited for about a third of the English army to get across that bridge, at which point they attacked. Now, now they've got more men on the right side of the river than the English do, and the English can't get their forces across quick enough. Also... The English forces that are on the Scottish side aren't in proper formation. They're, they're travelling. They're not ready to fight. And so the Scots carry out a crushing victory against the English. Some of the English soldiers were forced to try and wade through the water, swim across the water, and their armour dragged them down. And there were even more deaths through just the horrifically uh, horrific route and retreat of the English. And it was in this attack, the vanguard of the army seemed to have been led by Moray, and in the thick of battle showing incredible bravery, he was mortally wounded and died. At which point, you've now got a big Scottish victory, and the likely architect of it's dead. What do we do? Might as well pass it on to William Wallace, who's the last man standing, but that's not the same thing as he's the pivotal guy in charge of it all, okay? There is a critical difference there, all right? So... That was the Battle of Stirling. Huge victory for the Scots. Not quite the way it's portrayed in the movie, okay? So, 
we then move on and we now have uh, we now have William Wallace invading England, which, again, to be fair, that's what he did, and besieging York, which he didn't do. And there seems to have been some cutting off of heads, which is pretty barbaric, but that's okay because they're English. But when the English were doing it in Scotland, that's not allowed because reasons. The, so that he didn't go as far south as York. Uh, Wallace understood that he needed to be near friendly territory. And basically his invasion of England was raiding the borders, Berwick-upon-Tweed, places like that, places that sort of cr cr changed hands between Scotland and England multiple times throughout history. OK, that's actually what happened. But also it's around about this time that in the movie Braveheart meets uh, Edward, Prince Edward's rather attractive French uh, wife, and what's implied is that they have an affair. Well, it's not implied at all. They have an affair. And but what is implied is that uh, is that um, basically uh, the Edward the Third is the illegitimate child of Braveheart. That's where he gets his grit from, from good old Scottish DNA. Forgetting the fact that Edward the First was a very tough guy himself, and it's pretty obvious where the DNA came from. But more importantly. That particular French queen, well, she she's fascinating in her own right. No time to go into it at the moment. But basically, Edward, Prince Edward, later Edward II, is one of the worst kings in English history. And yes, you briefly mentioned at the end of the movie, he's the king who manages to lose a catastrophic defeat at Bannockburn against Robert Bruce. OK, um, so that's one big black mark against him. Another big black mark against him is he ended up fighting a civil war against that wife, and losing and getting imprisoned and probably killed. It's a bit debatable about what happens to Edward II. But yeah, fighting and losing a civil war against your wife, that's never going to make you one of the best kings of England, okay? So, but the problem with this relationship with this woman is, guess what? She was about nine years old when William Wallace was killed. So, oh, and she was still in France. That's the other thing. She didn't come over to England till years after Wallace was already dead. So that just couldn't be a thing or it gets really weird really fast. OK, so let's just 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 agree. It's just not a thing. Then we come to the Battle of Falkirk, where you know, after you know, years of Wallace sort of not being able to be brought to battle and sort of vying from one side to another, all this is actually relatively accurate. They're trying to hunt down uh, Scottish forces in Scotland was always notoriously difficult, but there is again a, a pitched battle, okay? And at that pitched battle, this is one they get more right, although there's a lot of emotional baggage on this. So basically what Wallace did was he formed his forces into Shiltrums. This is the first time this was seen. And these are basically huge circular um, formations with loads of spears and pikes sticking out. It's an anti-cavalry formation. Very important because the English had about 2,000 heavy cavalry there and would have gone through the Scottish infantry like a hot knife through butter if they'd had the opportunity. So it's the perfect way to keep them back. And that is definitely shown in the movie. And the Scottish nobles had about two, three hundred cavalry of their own, and they did leave the field of battle. At the time, nobody seems to know why. Probably they realized if there's two to three hundred of them versus two thousand of the other guys, they're probably going to lose. That's conjecture. But they are shown as being having been paid off by the English. 
So let's just recap that strategy. It's fine if the Scottish get the Irish mercenaries to switch sides. That's fine. But it's really evil and nasty if the English pay off the Scottish nobles to not join in on the battle. It's the same damn tactic. You absolutely want to use your enemy's, uh, your enemy's forces against them. And if you can get a part of their force to turn, you will take that opportunity. That's fine. Either it's duplicitous in both occasions, or it's fine on both occasions, but it can't just be fine if you're Scottish and evil if you're English, because that's not how strategy works, okay? So, you then get Wallace on the run, and then he's captured, and again, this is actually accurate, uh, that he's actually captured and tried for treason. And he quite rightly pointed out that to be tried for treason, you have to have basically gone back on your word, and he'd never sworn an oath of loyalty to Edward I in the first place. This is all true. But, and, and again, it's relatively accurate, although with one big exception, okay, I will be coming up to the exception, relatively accurate about what happens to him. There's no doubt he's going to be found guilty. These are medieval courts, and in essence, the king rolls the courts, and the king's not going to let a rebellious Scot sort of get away with murder, so to speak. Uh, and so, yes, he is the first man to have been hung, drawn, and quartered, and that is a horrific punishment. And actually, rarely for, for Mel Gibson, who you know seems to love the blood and guts and gore, actually what happened to William Wallace is worse than what you saw in the movie. If you're a bit squeamish, you might want to fast forward the next 30 seconds. Um, but, you know, I'm going to tell you what happened to him. So first of all, he was stripped naked and dragged across cobbled streets on a horse. So that would have bruised him up and battered him up quite badly. Then he was hanged until nearly unconscious, which you see in the movie. Then he had his his genitals cut off and had his guts uh, ripped out of his body. And then he was beheaded with parts of him quartered. So he had an arm and leg and going to various bits of, of the kingdom and into Scotland. And his head was put on a spike. Actually, it was five bits rather than quarters. His head was put on a spike in London. Okay. When you bear in mind the horrific degradations that man was put through, it was highly unlikely that he was going to scream freedom at any point, far more likely to be crying out in pain, a horrible way to finish a brave man, okay? The other thing that seems to be implied at that point is that those were like the last words that Edward I heard before he died. Edward I lived for another two years. Yes, he was an old man by now, but he didn't die basically the same time as William Wallace, okay? I think I have done a pretty good sledgehammer blow there against Braveheart. Again, I want to make it quite clear. Is it a good film? Yes. Is it historically accurate? No. Not even close. If people start using William Wallace and Braveheart as an example of Scottish nationalism or Scottish independence or anything like that, you have to be careful with the sources. A man called Blind Harry is not a man to be just casually trusted with historical facts. And indeed, he never wrote his stuff to be considered a chronicle. It was written 
as a legendary story about a man he clearly uh, admired greatly. And there's every reason to admire William Wallace, but the Wallace Monument that you see in Scotland to this day, that was built in the Victorian era. The huge sword that he was purported to have been used isn't his, was made later, and we don't know what he actually used as a weapon because it was never mentioned by any contemporary chronicles, but it assumes again, once again, using Blind Harry, that he was a seven-foot giant and capable of swinging something like that. Okay, fine, whatever. But, Braveheart, shame on yourself. If you wanted to make it fun, like something like 300, fine. But if you're going to go more down the route of something like Saving Private Ryan, you should have done your homework, and that's not good enough. Okay, this has been Neon. Thank you very much for listening. Next week, we're doing something very, very different indeed. We're looking at the video game Castlevania. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.